0: Uh, Last week we are still in the book of Luke, we are in chapter 2, and last week we got to see uh, the naming and consecration of the Messiah of the world, the man who's here to save us all, Jesus Christ. And we got to see uh, that story through uh, a man named Simeon and a woman named Anna as they uh, met him at the temple. And then we get this, this note that they went back to Nazareth, and basically Jesus grew up. And we got a whole lot of silence uh, from 40 days of age till Jesus is 30. In fact, the only stuff we know in the Bible about Jesus' childhood comes from the story you are going to hear today. Um, Luke gives a summary in verse 40, and he says, And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. That's a great story. Summary, right? I hope that the same can be said about my kids one day that they grew up, they became strong, they were filled with wisdom, and God's grace was upon their life. That give us much detail about what happened in Jesus' life. And so today, as we even read this story, there's a lot of detail and a lot of gaps and a lot of things that aren't said, Just much like Jesus' early childhood. Um, we have a couple points on the map, but that's about it. But let me, let me tell you, here is a core belief of ours from Scripture. This is 2 Peter 1.3. And here's what he says in 2 Peter 1.3. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him. The one who called us To himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. So, what we believe that scripture is, is that God has given us everything that we need to know. And we can have knowledge of Him, of God. And we talked about this morning in our life group, right? That knowledge is somewhat limited, right? We can't fully know God, and we'll spend eternity as limited beings still knowing God, right, understanding God, coming to know him. But we believe this, that God has given everything we need for life and godliness in Scripture. Now, as we read a story like today's, and as we look at Jesus' life, it's easy when there's lack of details or there's empty space for us to want to fill in those gaps. Anybody checking with me? It's easy for us when there's not something said that we want to go and fill in, well, Jesus did this. And what happens when we read the Bible like this is, is that we veer off into all kinds of theories and distractions and nonsense, right? Anybody ever sat in a small group where you veered off into all kinds of theories and distractions and nonsense, Right? And what's happening is we're trying to read between the lines instead of just reading the lines, right? Instead of just reading the Bible, we're trying to read behind the Bible or in the Bible or around the Bible. No, we believe God's given us everything we need for life and godliness in his scriptures. We're not meant to, I mean, our brains go here, right? We want to speculate. What was Jesus like as a boy? What did he do for three days in the temple How did he eat? How did he live? Like, did no one call CPS? Like, these are the questions we have, right, as we read this story. But let me say this. If those details were important, God would have included them. All right? So one of the things I want us to learn today as we read this story is how to read the Bible, right? How do we read the Bible? Not the empty lines between the text, not the, the, the non-details, not the things he doesn't address. I want us to dwell on what he does. Now, I think the enemy wants us to read in this way. He wants us to spend so much time wondering about this or wondering about that. And wonder is a good thing. But if we spend so much time wondering what God didn't say, we've neglected to read what God did say. Because Luke is making a point with this story And with all these other stories through chapter 4, he's making one point through all of these stories. And I realized that this week as I'm thinking, why does he include this one story about Jesus' childhood? And the point he is making is that Jesus is the Son of God. Right? And he's, he's pointing it out in all kinds of different ways. He points it out through the angel saying that he will be called the Son of God. Here... Jesus is in the temple and he's going to say, didn't you know I would be in my father's house? So Jesus is going to claim today to be the son of God. Next week, John the Baptist comes and he prepares the way of the Lord, God. And when John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, the spirit comes and what does he say? Truly, this is the son of God. At the next week, Luke is given a genealogy, which we may not, I don't know that I can read all those names, so we may just have to uh, go quickly. Um, But the point of it is what? To prove that Jesus is the Son of God. He traces his lineage all the way back to God. The next week, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, and the enemy is going to do what? Say, if you really are the Son of God, then da-da-da-da-da. The next week, Jesus is going to go back to Nazareth and he's going to unroll the scroll from the Old Testament that points to the Messiah being the Son of God. And he's going to say, today, that's me. I am the Son of God. Then he's going to start healing and casting out demons. And he's proving to people what? That he is the Son of God. And so this story is as interesting as it is just to think about Jesus as a child is really Luke showing Theophilus. And really, it's Luke showing us that Jesus really is the Son of God. People have all sorts of views about who Jesus is, right? He's a great teacher. He's an incredible historical figure. He was an agent of social change. You know, he, he may have existed. He may not, right? There's all kinds of views. But let it be clear today, Jesus did not claim to be any of those things. What did he claim to be? The Son of God. Of God. So let's look at it. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 41. He says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. That's a nice way to put it. (laughs) And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Let me pray. God, thank you for Luke. Thank you for his careful research, God, and for his... Uh, attention to detail God I thank you for your word God that you gifted such men to write and to give us the truth God for what we can know about you is through your word God who you really are and in John you say that this is eternal life that that we would know you and your son whom you sent God God God, I pray this morning that if there's someone here who doesn't know you, God, who does not have a saving relationship with you through Jesus, God, God, that today would be the day that they realize who you really are, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. God, I pray this morning as we study that you would would help us uh, to understand, God. It helped me to make it make sense, God, and that we would be, Uh, different because of our encounter with you today God we love you we pray all this in your son's name amen right, look at verse 41 he says, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover, and when he was 12, they went up according to custom. It says, every year, this was their custom, and, and Luke is again pointing out over and over and over again that Joseph and Mary and Jesus were under the law. They were obedient to the law. These, they, were, they were living out the right way, and one of the right things for Jews to do was to celebrate the Passover every year. And as was the custom, the Passover was one night of a celebration, but there had, there had become this whole week around it, and about seven or eight days, depending on uh, where you read. But the, this was an every-year feast that the Jews celebrated. So let's, let's roll our brains back to the Old Testament. What was Passover about? Passover was a celebration of how God had rescued them out of slavery in Egypt, Right? And how God, when he sent the angel of death, he told them, you sacrifice this animal, this perfect spotless lamb, and you paint the blood on the doorpost. And when the angel of death comes over, if the blood is there, you will be saved. If there's not blood, then the firstborn will die, right? So it's, God is passing over. His judgment is passing over them. And so, this was the thing that ejected them out of uh, Egypt and sent them into freedom. They were no longer slaves. And so, Passover every year was a celebration of that. It's a great thing, right? Remembering how God had saved them. And they had sacrifices, yes, but there were meals, there was family time, and it involved still painting the blood on the doorpost. So, in Jesus' day, I was amazed to learn this this week, there would have been. Probably a hundred plus thousand people who made a pilgrimage from all around Israel to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. This sounds like my worst nightmare, right? A hundred thousand people in a space that's made for a lot less than that, right? There's long lines, there's mediocre food, there's, right, it's all this stuff, all my worst nightmares, and there's there's really there's a buzz about Jerusalem at the Passover celebration because there's all these extra people, there's there's these specific events, there's more priests serving at that time than any other time of the year, and people if they didn't bring their perfect sacrifice, they would have had to buy a, a, an animal at, in Jerusalem. So there literally are animals everywhere. There's there's blood all over the place. And there's smoke, and there's the smell of burning animals filling Jerusalem. And there's too many people, right? There is, absolutely in my mind, this is a picture of chaos, right? And Jesus, as it says, had, would go every year with his family. Now, it's interesting to think about Jesus as a kid. He knows who he is, and we know that from this passage. He knows who he's going to become, and what John calls him is, he would be the what? The Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Jesus, the Lamb of God at the Passover celebration with all these other people, killing lambs, slaughtering lambs so they can find forgiveness from their sins. And Jesus watches this knowing who he is. I, my heart breaks thinking about this, right? Right? He knows his time is not yet. He knows he's not uh, done what he's been sent to do. But can you imagine his mindset of watching these people frantically try to get forgiveness from God? Frantically go about all these rituals, this this dinner and this sacrifice and this this prayer and all this stuff, this frenetic activity. He's watching it all play out, and he knows I'm the son of God, I'm the lamb of God who will die, but he can't do anything about it in this moment. He knows how close they are to really being set free. We're told that Jesus was 12 this year, and that was an important uh, detail that Luke put in, right? Because uh, 12 was the point where boys, Jewish boys, began transitioning from childhood to adulthood, Right? Can you imagine if we transition kids from at 12 right, to adulthood now? A little higher expectation that they put on their sons and daughters. But they go through a practice called bar mitzvah, which means son of the covenant, right? And so this transition means I'm no longer just a son of my parents, but now I'm a son of the covenant. I am fully responsible to God to live out the uh, requirements and demands of the covenant, right? And so this would have been a really important year for Joseph with his son, Jesus. At 12, he's going to take way more careful attention. Hey, this is the sacrifice, and this is what we do. Hey, this is why we do it. And remember uh, remember God, when he delivered us from Egypt, he would have taken a lot of attention to detail with Jesus this year to teach him what it meant. Because he's becoming a son of the covenant. Look at verse 43. When the feast had ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. It says, when the feast was ended, so they... they Mary, Joseph, Jesus, they were fully devoted. They stayed for the whole week, the whole celebration of it. And what would have happened is they would have traveled with relatives and friends and neighbors from Nazareth, which, meant, remember, is about 80 miles north, right? So this is a four-day journey for them to get home, three or four days, depending on how slow you are. Uh, and so they set out. And, and this is one of those points where we get, like, we try to read between the lines. And we go, Mary. Joseph, what are you doing? Like, you left without your son? I, I don't know. And, and I, we can speculate all day, did Jesus sneak away? Did, was he there and then he went back? Like, I don't know. Luke doesn't tell us. But we know that they supposed him to be in the group. And so they begin walking, and they probably come to dinner that night. This is my best guess. They come to dinner that night, and they sit down to eat, and they get in their little family groups. Maybe he's been walking with cousins all day, or maybe he's been with that so-and-so friend, right? And they realize, our worst nightmare is parents, that we have lost one of our children. Anybody been through this? Lost a kid for more than a few minutes? Hudson disappeared for like two minutes one time when he was barely walking, and he was just behind my shed. But it was a dreadful two minutes, right? They were scrambling. They were realizing not only had they lost their son, but now maybe they've messed up God's plan of saving the world, right? No pressure, right? Not only did you lose Jesus, but you lost Jesus. I, I can't imagine as they begin to scramble. But they realize he's not there in verse 46. Look, after three days, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So three days. Matty asked, is there significance for Jesus? I don't know. I don't think so. But they travel a day, they realize he's missing. They travel back, they still haven't found him. And they spend the third day looking. And on the third day, they find him. And where do they find him? They found him in the temple. What's the temple? The temple was the place where God's presence dwelt. Like, we don't live in this day, right? God's presence is not only in Wilman, Kentucky today, if you're tracking with me, at Asbury Revival. God's presence is in each one of us, right? So we don't live in this day where we need to travel to some specific place uh, to encounter the presence of God, but in their day, that was true. And Jesus would have been very familiar with the temple. He would have been all around it that, that week, right? He would have been in the outer courts. Um, and it says that what he was doing when they finally found him was sitting among the teachers. Now, there would have always been teachers in Jerusalem at the temple, at the temple teaching. But because of Passover, like teachers from all over would have come. And Jesus, this would have been a huge opportunity for Jesus, especially being 12, having a little more like he can step into a space with adults and be a little more respected. And so there would have been the greatest, smartest minds in Judaism, in Jerusalem there at that time. And so Jesus took his opportunity. He's from tiny little Nazareth. There are no great teachers from Nazareth. He's going to be the one. (laughs) And he gets this chance to sit and ask about the law to ask about God, to ask about his commandments, how they understand their relationship with God. I can't even, we can fathom, we can try to fill in the blanks. What was he talking about? What kind of questions did he ask? I don't know. But it says, verse 46, that he was listening to them and asking questions. This was standard Jewish teaching, right? We sit, we talk, we dialogue, we ask questions, we give answers. I challenge that, right? This is our We do this in small groups, right? There's dialogue, there's questions, there's back and forth. What an amazing thought to think. These teachers set with the Son of God, the Messiah of the world. And they probably write him off a little bit because he's a 12-year-old. He's not even a son of the covenant yet. But it didn't take long till they realized that he was unique. He was very smart. It says in verse 47 that all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And we know the behind that, right? He's the God of the universe. He made you. We know the behind that. But in their mind, he is just the smartest 12-year-old Jewish boy that's ever existed. And this is the beginning, and and Luke is pointing us to this, that Jesus' primary mission is to teach. Yes, he's coming, his his ministry on this earth is going to be filled with teaching, right? Yes, he's come to die on the cross for our sins, but he's going to spend the rest of the time teaching us about who God is, how we can relate to him, how we can know him, how we can interact with him, how we are to live in this world, right? And we see this even as a 12-year-old boy. Teaching becomes his central ministry. Look at verse 48. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distressed. What does it say that their, their reaction to seeing him was? It's not really joy. They say astonished, which is a nice way of saying angry in modern English. Just kidding. But they're not astonished because of his teaching. Everyone else is enamored with Jesus, right? He's teaching. He's got wisdom. He's, he's amazing, right? And Mary's not astonished, right? She's not amazed at what he's teaching, right? I think Mary is very upset. They knew he had wisdom. They've been raising this boy, right? They know who he is. They know he's the Messiah. They're just mad because you, where'd you go? And I think, I think Mary's mad because he's just calmly sitting. He's not frantically searching for them. He's not with some guard like, hey, I lost my parents, right? That's, that's the right thing to do, kids, if you get lost, right? Don't sit, and listen to some teacher, right? Search for your parents. And Mary says, why have you treated us so? Your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Like Mary is very upset with Jesus. And, and, and I think because this is very out of character for Jesus, right? This is not how Jesus has ever been before. This is not something that they have experienced, right? I mean, how easy of a gig to raise the son of God, who doesn't sin, right? Mary's had it pretty easy up to this point. I'm not saying he's sinned here, but like I can imagine raising a kid who's perfect. That's the best parenting gig there is, right? But she is very upset, and she assumes that he had some malintent, or he had done this to hurt them, or he had, he had not considered others. And she's very much thinking in the earthly realm, Jesus, as we know, in John 6, 38, he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. We believe that Jesus Christ is fully perfect. So Jesus is not in sin in this moment. He is doing what his father sent him to do. And as he is becoming a son of the covenant, he's progressing into manhood. It starts to, he starts to realize this, and it starts to change some things. Look at verse 49. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? My father's house. He's in the temple. For him to say that this is his father's house. No one's ever claimed this. No one has ever referred, the Old Testament, there's there's very few references to God as father. He he, he is the father of of their nation, but no one would have such an audacity to say that that I am his son. He is my father. This is unique. This is the first time anyone has ever claimed this. And I don't know what you would do to your 12-year-old son who came up with such a great excuse as to why he was missing. But it's either very arrogant, it's either misinformed, he doesn't really understand the Bible, or it's true. All right? It's either just arrogant, little 12-year-old whatever, or he's misinformed, he doesn't understand that he shouldn't call God Father, or it's true. You see, this story is not about Jesus's irresponsibility and Mary and Joseph's, you know, interesting finding and circumstances around it. No, Luke tells us this story because of this one phrase, my father's house. Jesus is claiming to be the son of God. And he is claiming that his responsibility is not to be in that father's house, Joseph and Mary, but to be in my father's house, doing what my father told me to do. He is now more son of God than he is son of Mary. This is what the angel had told Mary in Luke 1.35, that he will be called holy, the son of God. This is not a surprise to Mary. She knows who he is, but it is uh, sudden. It is surprising. It is quick and at age 12, Jesus is aware that I am the Son of God, and I'm here for a very specific purpose. It's interesting to think, too, of this. This claim, the first words that we know that Jesus ever spoke, I would be in my Father's house claiming to be the Son of God. This is the claim that will lead to his hatred, to his execution, and to his killing on the cross, right? Right? This is, this is the claim, that they say that Jesus committed blasphemy by saying that he was equal with God, or like God, or of God, that he was the Son of God. This is what will get him killed, and he's beginning to proclaim that, and Luke is telling us that it's true. And coincidentally, this is the claim today. Many would say Jesus is just this historical figure. Yeah, he was a great teacher. He had some good ideas. Man, he, he, he created a movement, all these sorts of things. Jesus did none of that. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God who was sent to save us from our sins. He is claiming full de- deity and full equality with God the Father. Look at verse 50. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. <laughs> Luke uses this many times throughout when Jesus gives them something and they go, huh? That? And maybe we, we experience this too sometimes when we read scripture and we go, what? Or, or we, we go through an experience and, 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 and we realize later and we come back to him and we go, oh, that's what God was doing and I think Mary relays this detail to Luke, and she says, that day, I didn't get it. He said, my father's house, and I was just so mad, I, c- I couldn't even No, what, what? But later, she comes back, and she understands, oh, yeah, of course, he's the son of God. Right now, everything doesn't make sense. Right now, everything won't make sense. Even as you study Scripture today with the Spirit inside of you able to illuminate, not everything will make sense. Not every circumstance in our life will make sense, right? But God has a way of shedding light on it through time. Look at verse 51. He says, And he went down with them, and he came to Nazareth, and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Even though Jesus is first and foremost submissive to his Father in heaven, Luke makes it clear, no, he's still submissive to his parents. He's doing, he's, he's obedient, he's righteous in every way. And it's interesting to think that Jesus had to go through a process of growth and strengthening and, and wisdom and stature and all these sorts of things. He is submitting himself to our flesh, right? This is what Philippians 2 talks about, that, that though he was with God and in the form of God, he did not account equality with God or the privileges of being God, something to be held on to. He gave that up, put on flesh, and he came and he died on earth. Think about this. The God of the universe who spoke it into being is now submissive to two very flawed Human individuals. He's submissive to human limits. He's submissive to uh, human experience, right? He has put himself in our flesh so that we could be saved. He goes through all of that. He goes through that. He had to live like us and experience life like us. And he did it in a perfect way so that one day when he dies on the cross, he is the perfect lamb of God, who forgives us once and for all. Like, praise God today, we do not have to go to Jerusalem and participate in the Passover. Like, I feel that because I don't like the lines and I don't like the people, right? But praise God that we're not frenetically working to try to earn forgiveness from God. We're not doing all this stuff, these rituals and these habits and these practices and these dinners and all this sort of stuff to somehow try to make peace with God. No, it's been done. Jesus Christ has come and he is the son of God and he is the perfect lamb of God. Why does this matter for us today? The only way you and I can be sons and daughters of God and make that arrogant of a claim is because Jesus came as the son of God. If he's not really the Son of God, he's just some teacher, he's just some great Jewish theologian who was on the scene. There is no meaning, there is no purpose, there is no forgiveness, and there is no grace. But if Jesus is really who he says he is, the Son of God, then you can be saved. This is good news for every one of us. And the question today is do you believe that? Are you a son and daughter of God? Would you be so bold to make that claim? The only way you can is if you know that Jesus Christ died in my place. He gave me forgiveness once and for all so that I can be a son of God. If you don't know that today, you're still in your sin. You're still trying to find that forgiveness, trying to find that purpose, trying to find that meaning You're not going to find it anywhere else. The only place you can find it is in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let me pray. God, thank you for today. God, we thank you for the truth of Scripture, God, that you have given us. God, we thank you for Jesus, the Son of God who put on flesh and dwelt among us, who fulfilled the law, who did what we could not do, And who died the death that we deserved in our place that we could have life that only he deserved. God, I thank you that as we study scripture, it constantly points us to Jesus as the remedy, as the solution, as the salvation that each one of us so desperately needs. God, I pray that if there's someone in here today who doesn't know God, God, that today they would look to Jesus. They would place their faith in him, knowing that that their human workings and their human uh, effort has gotten them nowhere. God, I pray that they would look to Jesus to save them, knowing that they can't do it on their own. God, I pray that they would be so bold like Olivia to stand up and say, I know I'm a sinner, and I know that Jesus saved me, and I know... That I'm to be bold and tell that to the world. And so I'm going to get baptized even though it's fearful, God. I pray that that we would have that same kind of faith as Olivia this morning, God. God, we love you. We praise you for your grace. pray all this in your son's name. Amen.